listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. John said, question, can you tell us some wisdom in ministry for us in ministry, things to do and not to do when traveling in the ministry? That's a lot. That's a broad question. Um, I would, I would say if you're speaking about the evangelistic ministry, Lauren Lurkus, she knows, she said, child of God co. I would say if you're speaking about the evangelistic ministry, uh, one of the things that I would say, and I said this the other day, I asked, um, I asked people to ask questions on Instagram. And, um, one of the things that I encouraged aspiring evangelists to do is number one, put your hand, um, to the plow as it were, as the Bible says, don't turn back. Elisha burned his, uh, plows, not going back to farming. There's not even a second option to go back on what God's called you to do. And then, um, I would say fully sell out to the call that God's put on your life. And then treat everything God gives you the ability to do. Every open door, treat it like it's the biggest uh, open door you've ever had. I mean, it's it's the principle of being faithful over a little. I'll make you ruler over much. And so I would treat every door God gives you. Steward it uh, the best way you can. Do your best. um, And then finally, be a giver. That's That's a huge, huge thing for preachers. Be a giver. And, uh, so uh, those are the things that I would tell any aspiring, uh, minister, not just traveling ministries, but any, any minister, um, because that, that will help you trust me on that one. I'm going to share my own broadcast, which I didn't do, uh, yesterday. And so I'm going to do it. I believe that I believe in me. I believe in me. I believe in you and me. It's a good question. I had another question come in. Um, I'm going to try it one more time because I don't know what, what's up with this or why it would not allow me to do it. What about Christian Raybert? Let's add Christian on and see if he can get it. I'm bringing Christian Raybert on camera. If this will work, for some reason, there's a, a Facebook application that's not working. Because I see your camera's all on your pictures. And then it says, I see your name to add you. And it's not allowing me to add you. So we might just have to do questions in the comments if it's not working. Unless we did it on Instagram. No, I'm not going to do that. Um, yeah, it says connection failed. I don't know why. So we'll take it. We'll take them in the comments today. But um, we had a question come in. Um, Christian, can you find a way to ask to join my broadcast? Try that. Sandra, watching with faith. Glad you're on, Sandra. Love you. James, good morning. Rose. I know I've tried everybody. It's not really working for some reason. But I'll, I'll, I'll tell another question. Uh, Brett Patton had a question today, and uh, it really was a great question. He said, I've heard you, speaking about me, often, and he said, I've heard your cousin um, kind of make fun of uh, that line from Reck- uh, Reckless Love, the song, where um, we've actually, and I've done a whole podcast on it, where say, you know, uh, oh, oh, he's chasing me down, fights till I'm found, 
leaves the 99. And so um, we, I've gone through the bad theology of that song in a podcast. Uh, I did that a couple of years ago, maybe. But um, he said, you say that, but isn't that a scripture that they're quoting uh, where it talks about the shepherd who, who if he had a hundred sheep and lost one, would he not leave the 99 and, uh, you know, go back and I'll, I'll read it to you here from Matthew chapter 18. This is the scripture it's referencing. What do you think? If any man has 100 sheep and one of them's gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go and search for the one that's straying? If it turns out that he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 which have gone, which have not gone astray. So it is not the will of your father who's in heaven that one of these little ones perish. So read that in context. It's not the will of your father who's in heaven that any of these little ones perish. And so let's break that down in context. Number one, uh, whether you're a Pentecostal style believer about salvation or whether you're a, a, a reformed Calvinist style believer about salvation, Neither of them really take that, uh, that neither of them take the mindset of the question that, uh, in the way that Brett's asking it, where like God's just always chasing you, chasing you, chasing you, you know, until you get saved. Um, the, uh, the, the position of reformed Calvinists or Baptist Presbyterians that are reformed is that God chose you from before the foundations of the world, that you were elected by God. And so he doesn't, he's not chasing you. He elected you before the foundations of the world and you will be saved and God will not, Christ said he will not lose any of those ones that God's put in his hand. They will come to him and he'll not lose one of them. So in their, in their mind, he's not chasing you down. You're, you've already been elected from the beginning of time. Uh, for Pentecostals, we would look at this and say, obviously, uh, the chasing that God did, if there was any chasing, it was sending Jesus into the world. And the Bible says that through him, all men might be saved. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so it's not that he's chasing you down actively. It's that uh, he came in the form of a man to give himself on your behalf, the redemption act, and then gave the job of preaching the gospel to the church who then should be out preaching the gospel. But understand, if people who I believe have a free will choose not to uh, accept the gospel message, God's not going to chase them down. You know, it, it, it doesn't work like that. You can, re in my opinion, you can re reject the gospel message. You can reject the work of grace. And you can, there's people that have sat in church for years and literally have heard the message hundreds of times and they've rejected it and they're not living for the Lord. And, um, it's not that God's chasing them down. It's that God sent Jesus into the world. That was his action that men might be saved. And then he gave the job of preaching the gospel to Christians. And then Christians, it's our responsibility to preach the gospel and to see people come into the kingdom. Now, here's, here's the real thing that uh, Calvinists and Pentecostals agree on if they're honest about scripture. There's some charismatic Pentecostals that are not solid in their doctrine. I've actually had some argue with me on this point, but you can't argue it. It's taught in scripture. 
And so any Bible-believing, Pentecostal, charismatic, or Reformed uh, believer will have to agree on this point. Nobody can be saved unless the gospel's preached unto them. There's no way. In fact, that's what Paul, the apostle, is literally pointing out and teaching uh, in Romans chapter 10 when he says, uh, how can they believe on somebody in whom they've never heard? You know, he goes through the whole, uh, how can they hear unless uh, somebody preaches? How can someone preach unless they're sent? And that's why it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those that, you know, bring the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so then it goes on to say in verse 17, faith comes by hearing. And actually there in context, it's talking about saving faith. It's talking about the ability to have faith in Christ, uh, faith to be saved. So one thing you have to agree on is what Paul said in Romans chapter one. Uh, The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. People ask me all the time, well, listen, uh, what happens to people that never hear the gospel? They go to hell. And I know people are like, that seems too harsh to me. It's the way it is because here's, here's the real crux of the matter. If people were able to get into heaven without the gospel, that means that there's another way into heaven that is not through Christ. Think about that and think about how wrong that is. Because Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And no man can come to the Father except through me. And so uh, it's very, very interesting that there there would be charismatics or Pentecostals that would disagree on that subject. Because if you think you can get to heaven without hearing the gospel message, or you if you think you can get to heaven just because of what Paul said in Romans 1 that, you know, you can look at creation and know that there is a creator, that there's a God. You can, but that knowledge that there is a creator by looking at creation is only enough to condemn those who don't believe. It's only enough so that people cannot say there's no God. That it, it, It's not enough to bring you to saving faith. It's not enough to do that. You have to hear the gospel message in order to be saved. Paul's clear on that. The, it, it is the gospel, the power of God unto salvation. And so uh, people, people say, well, you know, I think maybe these people in nations where the, the gospel never reached them or something, maybe they just had, maybe God just judges them on what they, how good they were, how, you know, what they did know. Well, if that's true, then if you think about it logically, the best thing we could do is not send the try to ascend the gospel to those nations so that in fact, maybe they'll hear it and maybe not receive it and then go to hell. If that's really how God judges people that have never heard the gospel, maybe we should never attempt to let them hear it because if they hear it and reject it, they'll go to hell. But no, that's not the case. Anybody that's going to be saved must hear the gospel message preached. And that's God's way. That's his system. And that's how it works. So it's a great question, but that's uh, that's a pretty solid um, teaching. You can't get around that in the scripture. Mackenzie asks, uh, and so that was from from uh, Brett because Brett was wondering about you know God chasing you down, leaving the ninety nine, and of course we know all of heaven does rejoice uh, when even one person is saved. We know that there's no we're not minimizing. Uh, the value of salvation of one person, obviously not. 
but uh, it's, it's not what it means. He's not chasing everybody. Mackenzie said, how can you tell if you are being punished by God, reaping what you've sown, being attacked by the enemy, or an unfortunate circumstance in life is happening? How much is caused by spiritual force versus the randomness of life? That's a good question. It's a deep question with multiple parts. So let's see if we can break it down. Uh, first of all, uh, Mackenzie's asking, how can you tell if you are being punished by God? Well, first of all, let's address that part. God's not going to punish his children with evil. He's not going to punish you with evil. So you think about the things that uh, people are struggling with. Let's think about um, you know, sickness or disease. Let's think about poverty and lack. Let's think about depression and anxiety, addictions, uh, all these different things that people are dealing with in the world. Um, I think we can pretty clearly say that God is not going to punish his children with evil things, as the Bible teaches. Uh, he, he doesn't test any man with evil. And so why would Jesus shed his own blood um, to, to complete the redemptive act so that not only can we be free from sin, but free from sickness, free from poverty, free from the attacks of the devil, and then be filled with the Holy Ghost who brings us into a place of breakthrough. So I think we can rule that one out if there's something evil happening to you. Uh, if, for example, if you're, if you're sick or if you're chronically depressed or if you're addicted to heroin or, you know, if whatever it might happen, your marriage is just being destroyed. Um, it's not God punishing his children um, because he doesn't use those things any more than he would use sin because it's all the same redemption. So uh, God making you fall into sin to teach you a lesson, he would never do that. So I think we can, we can uh, rule that one out. Uh, and then reaping what you've sown. Well, we know that there's a system that God set up called seed time and harvest. And uh, the Bible says in Genesis 8, 22, as long as the earth remains, there will be seed time and harvest. And so you will reap what you've sown. You absolutely reap what will reap what you've sown. But when you talk about these things attacking you, first of all, I don't know how you would sow sickness unless you were like some evil doctor in the Wuhan province of China de developing a virus to send to America. Not saying that happened, but if that were the case. Um, but I'm not sure how you would sow you know, sickness. I'm not sure how you would sow poverty necessarily, but you will reap what you've sown. So if you're somebody that's always bringing trouble, if you're somebody that's always stirring up division, if you're always talking about people, if you're always uh, backbiting, gossiping, you'll reap that in your life. No question about that. Being attacked by the enemy, that's the third area. Well, I would say that the first things that I mentioned, those are attacks of the enemy. Sickness, disease, poverty, lack, depression, anxiety. And one of the things you can see in the New Testament scriptures is that when Jesus encountered these attacks against people that weren't even his children yet, because really he'd not died and been resurrected, but they were all sinners. But Jesus treated those things like enemies. And uh, it'll be interesting for you to know that about one out of every three people that Jesus ministered to in the New Testament, he had to deal with a demon spirit first before he could heal them or set them free whether that was a spirit of infirmity, like Luke 13, whether that was an unclean spirit, Mark 5, whatever it might be. Uh, sometimes he had to deal with the spirit, showing you it's not God, it's an attack of the devil. 
And so very interesting to think about the fact that there is a devil who is attacking, who wants to steal, kill, and destroy and take you out. And you have to recognize it. And then finally, this, uh, you know, unfortunate circumstances in life. Um, and, you know, I would, I would attribute those sometimes, Mackenzie, to people not being led by the Spirit. Because I do believe that if you're yielded to the Holy Ghost and if you'll listen to his voice, that he will uh, guide you perfectly and he'll let you know about things ahead of time that will keep you from what's happening in life, even if they're random things, you know, caused ultimately by the enemy, but uh, may seem random to us. And here's the importance of Mackenzie's question that I want to highlight is if we don't know there's a difference between what God does and what the enemy does, then what ends up happening to us is that we become double-minded. And this is what's happened with so many Christians. If they're suffering with something, they don't know whether maybe this is God punishing me or maybe this is the devil attacking. And because they don't know, they become double-minded and they're not sure whether or not they should ask God for help. Should I pray for healing if this is God doing this? Because maybe I should just ask him for strength to endure because he's teaching me something through this sickness. And so that's why it's such an important question. We don't want to be double-minded because James 1 says a double-minded man is unstable in all their ways and that person should not expect to receive anything from God, anything. Excellent question, Mackenzie. I love it. Uh, Steph Mendez says, how can, uh, or what, sorry, what can keep a church from growing for so long? No new members, no growth. Church hasn't gotten smaller, but hasn't grown since. Great question. One of the things that can keep a church small is a lack of focus on evangelism. Lack of focus on evangelism. What caused the early church to grow in the book of Acts? The Bible says people were being added to the church daily, such as should be saved. But there was a heavy in, there was a heavy focus on evangelism in the early church. The apostles were preaching the gospel. Uh, the Christians were sharing it. It was going everywhere, and thousands were being added to the church. If there's no focus on evangelism in your local church, it's going to it's going to just become like a lake instead of. Um, being like a river that things, you know, or rush, you know, it, your, your, um, your church should be like an ocean rather than a lake because a, an ocean has all of those tributaries flowing into it, rivers rushing in or whatever it might be and dumping water in. And so that's evangelism is that moving of water that brings souls in from your community and the leadership not only have to make evangelism a focus, but drive that vision home in the people that we all are called to bring in the lost. And um, uh, improper doctrine can keep a church from growing. But you know what? I won't even, I won't even say that because improper doctrine causes some churches to grow rapidly because people like to hear false teaching that's not biblical, makes them feel good, like the hyper grace message. feels great to hear those messages preached. But I would say mainly, you know, no prayer, no fasting can keep you. That was, those were the two things, Steph, that Dr. Cho and his mother-in-law, Madam Che, uh, of the largest church in the world, pastor of the largest church in the world, over a million members, they attributed their church growth. So when somebody asked Madam Che, how do you have such church growth in Yoido Full Gospel Church? She said, we fast, 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 and pray, pray, pray. 
And so I would say, focus on evangelism, fast and pray. Um, Sandra asks, what about those on death row that repent of sins right before execution? They go to heaven. They go to heaven. Doesn't matter when you do it, Cass. Uh, it's important to remember Jesus was on the cross next to uh, either the thieves. One did not believe him and one believed him. And to the one who believed him, what did Jesus say? Today, you will be with me in paradise. That's what he told him. He didn't have time to be baptized in water, attend a local church, tithe and give, you know, none of that. Jesus, in, in that man's last moments, as he's dying on a cross crucified, Jesus tells him, today you will be with me in paradise, which shows you that it's a wonderful thing. Let, let me um, give you a parable from scripture cast so that you can understand uh, even more. Um, the Bible says, hey, there's Jack McTiger. Love, love, love you, buddy. Um, one of the things that Jesus told as a parable was this. It was the parable of the workers in the field. And the Bible says the master of the field agreed with a certain group of workers at the beginning of the day. If you'll work in my field all day, I'll pay you this amount. And they agreed to it. Then there were some that came midday and he met with those workers and said, if you'll work from midday to the end of day, I'll give you this amount. It was the same amount as the first. And they said, we agree to it. Then there were some that came right at the end of the day and the master agreed with them for the exact same amount. If you'll work just a few moments till the end of the day, I'll pay you the same amount as those that started at the beginning and in the middle. And when he paid out everybody's wages, the people that worked from the beginning of the day were ticked off. Lord, we've worked in your field all day long. Why are we getting the same wages as people that came in the midday and people that came at the end of the day? But the master makes the point, is it not my field? Did you not agree with me for this exact amount? Is it, can I not give what I want to the people that work for me? So the, if you look at this now, this parable is saying, you know, it would be wrong for us to say like, I've been saved and serving God for 40 years. Why should a person who got saved on their deathbed get to have the same glorious inheritance of heaven that I get for 40 years of serving God? That's not your decision to make. He's God of heaven. If he wants to give the same reward of eternal life to a person who's praying that prayer of repentance on their deathbed as somebody that's lived faithfully for him for 40 years, he's the master. And that is the blessing or that's the paycheck for serving the Lord. And so it's an excellent question, uh, Cass, and I would answer it in that way because God has the ability uh, to do that. And we see it in Jesus. Elizabeth asks the question, can you block God's blessings for you by things that you are doing in your life, not letting people go from your life that he wants you to, etc.? Absolutely. You can block or hinder the blessings of God in your life by choices that you make in life. No question. Uh, just think about it as simple as what if you just chose to not tithe or give? I'm not, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to sing the songs. I'm going to even evangelize, but I refuse to tithe or give in the offering. I will not do it. Well, you choose not to do it. You know, what's going to happen. You're going to not, you won't be financially blessed. You just won't because financial blessing does not answer to prayer. It doesn't answer to church attendance. doesn't answer to any other thing except giving you sow and you reap. 
Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Um, are there people that can pull you out of God's plan? Absolutely. Are there relationships that you could have? And by the way, if you're just jumping on, you guys are on right now, share the broadcast. I mean, I want to hear people's questions. This is important stuff. Very, very good questions today. Um, are there people in your life that could pull you back into doing things that are displeasing to God? Absolutely. That was the whole point Paul was making in 2 Corinthians 6 when he dealt with don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. What business does light have, uh, you know, fellowshipping with darkness? Is God uh, or Christ in fellowship with the devil? Absolutely not. And so be separated from them. You know, that, that was the command. Come out from among them and be separated. Be holy unto me. Don't look like the world. Don't be like the world. And um, so there are, there are people that can keep you from if you'll, if you won't cut them out, as you're saying, and there are people that can help you get to the presence of God. Right friends are important. The right friends are definitely important. It's a great question. Let me move down. Uh, Luenda asks: People do things to cause anxiety, depression, and addictions. Are those still attacks? That's a really great question. Um, ultimately, all of those evil things entered into the world via sin. Before sin, there was no sickness, there was no lack, there was no anxiety or depression. And so I would say, you know, indirectly, every evil thing that comes against mankind is from original sin. But it doesn't necessarily mean that everything that happens to you is because the devil did it or that there's a demon coming against your life. So many things that people go through and that people experience they're happening to them because of poor decisions, bad, bad choices, uh, not using wisdom. And as a result, they're really hindering themselves. You know, the devil didn't, the devil didn't do it to them. You know, I, I think Christians um, as a whole blame the devil too often for things that are happening in their life that if you looked at it objectively, and if you were truly introspective, you could say, you know what, I made some bad choices and they're biting me right now. Um, so yes, you know, don't, for example, and I'm, I'm saying this, I don't want to condemn anybody by saying this. I just want to give an example that you would understand. If I'll give you two examples so that you can see it in two areas of life. I had a guy come into the church one time and he wanted me to help him. He's crying. He's all bummed. Yeah, he's in financial crisis, financial crisis. I don't know. I'm, I'm struggling financially. Uh, you know, all this stuff. And I said, well, I'm happy to help you. I said, first of all, let's go through your finances and take a look at what's going on. So we got out his, his finances and we looked at his budget. We looked at his bills. We looked at what he had, what he was doing. Well, first of all, he really had no budget. And second of all, he owned like nine cars, <laughs> nine cars. And I'm not exaggerating. It's not like he had three and I'm saying nine. He owned nine because he liked to buy old cars and then fix them up and flip them. So he's got nine cars sitting around. He's got uh, no budget. And then, and then I look at him and, and after I've added up all of his bills and what he makes, he was missing. Like we couldn't explain where the money went. He was missing like $3,200 a month that was just unaccounted for. It's like, okay, well you make, let's say 5,000 a month. You know, your bills are only $1,800. Where's the other $3,200? 
He's like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. Was it? You don't. It's it's poor planning. You don't have a financial crisis. <clears throat> You're operating like a fool. I have people that come into the prayer line for healing, and um, <clears throat> they've literally. I was listening to uh, Joe Rogan's podcast. I put this in the fasting book, by the way. And he had a doctor on. She's a long life specialist, Dr. Rhonda Patrick. She was saying that um, a large number of people that are in the hospital now are in the hospital receiving care for something called metabolic syndrome, which is a multiplicity of things. It's type 2 diabetes. It's hypertension. It's uh, it's a, it's a number of things like that. But the point being all of the things that make up the metabolic syndrome could be taken care of simply by proper diet and exercise. It's not a disease that, that can't be handled or anything. It's literally people have eaten themselves into a sickness. And, and how many of these things do we see in the prayer line? Tons. Do you realize if people just used wisdom, the prayer line would be like halved in most churches. <clears throat> but again, there are choices we can make that uh, that will cause us harm. It's a great question, Luenda. Caitlin asks, how do you know if you're looking too much into signs that you believe are from the Lord to make your decision? Um, <clears throat> I would say any more than a little bit, it's too much. <clears throat> I don't, <clears throat> let me just say it this way, Caitlin. I don't mind receiving a sign or a confirmation from the Lord, but that's not what I base the decisions on. It's like, oh, I saw the sign or I had a confirmation. You're led by the spirit. <clears throat> the Bible says all that are sons of God are led by the spirit of God. Romans 8, 14. We're not led by signs and we're not led by confirmations. We're led by the voice of the Holy Spirit. And so I don't think you should put a ton of stock in, I'm just waiting for the Lord. It's like I heard Brother Hagin say, if you if you put out a fleece, you're going to get fleeced. This is speaking of the Old Testament story uh, that he laid out a fleece. <clears throat> I don't wait for signs. I don't wait for, uh, you know, something external to guide me. I have the voice of the Holy Spirit that speaks. So do you. Every Christian, you can be led by the Spirit of God. And that's how the New Testament church is supposed to live. We're not led by prophets or prophecy. We're not led by signs. We're not led by wonders. We're led by the spirit of God. Uh, could he have a man of God speak to you? Yes. But as I've covered in past broadcasts, it really should only be a confirmation to your spirit. It shouldn't be the first time you heard it. If somebody comes to you and gives you a word that's a man of God, woman of God, it shouldn't be the first time you've heard that thing. It should have already been in your spirit at some point and be confirmation to you because you've got the same Holy Ghost living in you that they've got in them. And so I wouldn't uh, look into signs too much. I would I would spend more time being led by the spirit or just if you have to fast and pray, um, you know, to get sensitive again to the spirit of God, the way that you can to hear from him, do it. Absolutely do it. It's a great question. Um Uh, Ed says, how do you react when your son leaves home to live with his girlfriend and live in sexual sin and has turned his back on God, shown disrespect to you and your wife for not accepting this behavior? We continue to pray, but do we cut ties as well? Um, I don't necessarily think you have to cut ties with your with his son. Um, 
<clears throat> Obviously, you love you love your son. Uh, anybody would love their family and should continue to press in and believe for their family. Um, obviously you, you, you're, you're sternly letting him know that you don't put up with that kind of foolishness. Um, but you never want to cut your family off if at all possible. You want to believe God to change them, uh, help them. And, uh, so I understand that people get old enough to make their own decisions and some people make the wrong decisions, but, I don't believe you necessarily have to cut them off. I believe you keep praying like you said, and um, and just, you know, you do have to set boundaries, obviously. You don't just let people speak to you and treat you any way, but I don't believe you necessarily have to cut them off. I would stay, stay on it, keep praying, keep believing. It's a great question. Um, Maria apparently had a question about the thieves on the cross. Uh, if... If you want to ask it again, if there was something I missed, I'm happy to answer it. Tyler, it's a great book, isn't it? The The Holy Spirit, Fourth Dimension is a great book too. He he, he had some great material. I love it. Um, that's right, John. Exactly right. Amber said, I heard a woman say that one time, a Christian woman. Um I know people are commenting on answers that I'm giving. I'm just scrolling down now. Oh, yeah. For sure you want to be happy people find Jesus on their deathbed. Um, Susan asks, if you're helping a parent financially that is on fixed income, would that be considered an offering above the tithe? No. No, it would not. It would at best be considered uh, alms or giving to the poor. But it's definitely considered honoring your parent and uh, God will honor you for that without question. When we honor fathers and mothers, it's the first commandment with promise uh, that you're, that it would, that it may be well with you and that you'll have long life on the earth. So God will honor you for it, but I would, it's not an offering. Offerings go to the Lord. Offerings go to the Lord. If you're helping people that are not, that don't have money, you're helping the poor, which the Bible says plenty about. God blesses those that help the poor. It's really a blessing for you because you're doing kind of double duty, not just helping someone who's financially unstable or poor, but on top of that, it's a parent who you're honoring. And so I commend you. That's, that's a wonderful thing. Ashley, so I guess I'm struggling with the balance between faith and wisdom. For example, my husband wasn't feeling well. I thought just the sniffles. We went to Christmas Eve and confessed our faith that it was not faith that it was not COVID. Two days later, he tested positive for COVID. We had to inform all family members, mostly unbelievers, about us exposing them. Felt stupid, but I don't know where we went wrong. I wouldn't say you went wrong. Uh, you believe God's a healer. You're staying in faith, confessing by faith. Um, I dealt with this talking to somebody last night. Just because... Uh, things don't go the way you planned or you don't have the answer you're believing for doesn't mean there's, you know, you're number one. It doesn't mean that you're a bad person. Number two, it doesn't mean God doesn't love you. doesn't mean that he's not a healer. doesn't mean that he has a desire to heal all people and all sicknesses and all diseases. Um, I would just keep on pressing and believing God. Uh, don't let one thing that's taken place, destroy your faith, move on, move on. It happened, and I don't spend a lot of time, to be honest with you, I don't spend a lot of time trying to explain why things did happen or didn't happen. They've happened. So I move on. 
Uh, I dealt with this uh, last night with somebody. They said, well, prayed for a coworker, and they, uh, they, they, and I was telling everybody at work and everything, we're believing for a miracle and all this, and they still died. And I don't, I, I felt dumb. And I said, don't feel dumb. You obeyed what the word said. You laid hands on the sick. You continue to believe. I said, I don't try to, I don't know if I just paused there. I don't explain, I don't try to explain why people didn't get what I prayed for. I just keep on doing what the, what the Bible says. And so don't let it ruin your faith and don't feel stupid about it. You stay in faith. Keep living that way. God honors faith. You should still use wisdom as much as faith, but faith should be number one, your top priority. Your faith is not in men. It's in God. Um, Um, Ashley said, I have a question. A lot of atheists lately have been referring to the slaves in Exodus and saying, your God is okay with slavery. I've been responding by saying man-made slavery, not God. Slavery was already a thing. I wish I had better response, but I'm not interested in diving into Exodus uh, in this season. What would your response be? There's all kinds of apologists who have answered this question. Uh, Ashley, if I were you... I would go for a more detailed answer on something like gotquestions.com or um, there's there's Christian apology apologist websites where they answer these. But, you know, once sin came into the world, it's very interesting because I believe with men with free will, when sin came into the world, there was all kinds of things that took place that uh, came out of a sinful heart. They happened, but it doesn't mean that God's okay with it. Uh, I'll give you another example. In the New Testament, here's a misunderstanding. When Paul's teaching the early church and he's dealing with uh, people that are slaves, quote unquote, if you look at the Greek word that's used for slave, it's it's actually rendered, and actually there's multiple Bible translations like the ESV, the NLT, that have a, a, um, a note at the beginning of their Bible about this term Doulos, which is, it's rendered slave in a lot of translations, but some of the more modern ones will render it bond servant because it's not the same thing. And in fact, if you go through Leviticus, you'll see the difference between what a bond servant and a slave was. For example, that word doulos in the Greek, whether it's used with the Greek Septuagint Old Testament or the New Testament, these were people who maybe submitted themselves into slavery because they had financial debts that they could not pay. But then after they'd paid off their debts through working as slaves, they actually ended up loving the family they worked for so much, they chose to stay with them. And the, and Leviticus makes provision for that. And so there was a whole ceremony that they would do, and they went from being a slave to a bond servant. And a bond servant is one who chose to serve the family they're with. They chose to live with them, chose to stay even after the debt was paid. And that's what Paul refers to himself as. It's what John the Revelator refers to himself as. You know, Paul, a slave of Christ, John, a slave of Christ. But if you look in the newer translations, it's bond servant, someone that chooses to serve the one that they serve. And so it's not that God's okay with slavery or people being uh, enslaved. In fact, God delivered his people from slavery and it was so wrong that God destroyed all of Egypt for putting his people in slavery. Karen Ann says, what do you say 
when people tell you that you shouldn't speak in tongues in church unless there's an interpreter? The answer to this question, and of course, these people are referring to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, where Paul is giving uh, instruction about orderly church worship. And the point Paul is making is not that they shouldn't speak in tongues, but that somebody shouldn't stand up in a church service and give a word in tongues or stand up and give a message to the body in tongues. Karen, I'm sure you've been in church services where somebody gave a word in tongues and interpretation. That's different than somebody just praying in their prayer language or or the pastor saying, everybody join hands together and let's begin to pray in the spirit. That's different. Um, When somebody stands up and literally, if you will, takes the floor or takes control of the service to speak to the body and gives a word in tongues, Paul said that should never be done in an assembly unless somebody interprets it. Because he said the whole purpose of the assembly is that we are built up, we're encouraged, we're edified, that we gain knowledge, that we're perfected. Uh, but if that, that can't happen, if somebody just gives a word in tongues, but there's no interpretation. So he said, pray that you may interpret. Uh, I'd rather speak five words in the known language than 10,000 words in tongues. Why did he say that? He was saying it in the context of a church service. I don't want to get up in the pulpit and just spend the whole time speaking in tongues. Nobody will be edified. Nobody will be changed. Nobody will understand what is being said. And so Paul gives that instruction. But it doesn't mean you can't speak in tongues in church. It just means you shouldn't take the church service over, give a word in tongues to the whole body, and then just let that thing hang there with no interpretation. Because it's not, it's not edifying. Great question. Faith Savage, what's the best advice you can give to someone whose life is temporarily shaken on account of being newly anointed and not knowing enough about the enemy and in learning new things in Christ daily? Thank you, Ted, for teaching me so much. Um, Whose life is temporarily shaken, newly anointed, not knowing enough about the enemy and in learning things about Christ daily. I'm kind of having to read into that question, Faith. I don't know if you mean don't, don't quite understand how to... Uh, stand in the, in the anointing that's been placed on your life and take authority over the enemy. Um, if that's the case, I would read Brother Hagen's book. It's a short book uh, entitled The Believer's Authority. I'm happy to send you the book if you don't have it. Uh, it's called The Believer's Authority. It will help you immensely to understand who you are in Christ and then uh, also um, how the authority of the believer works how it functions um, because you are filled with God's power and his anointing, but you have to understand how to use it. And if that's the case, please send me a message. And we'll get it to you. If it's somebody, if it's for someone, you know, uh, I would be happy to send it to you and you can give it to them. Um, but that's a great question. Excellent question. Um, you know, Juliana said, God corrected me in that. I was $38,000 in debt in the past two months because of God's grace and blessings. I'm down to 35. By the end of the year, I'll be completely out of debt. Thank you, Jesus. Proper steward. That's exactly right. See, what we don't want to happen is God to bless us, bless us, bless us. But we put our money in a bag with holes because we're not good stewards, because we're not taking care of the things that God has placed in our hands. So it's an excellent point, and we do. And of course, someone commented, I'm not going to scroll back to look, but they commented the scripture, uh, a fool spends all that he has. Absolutely. It's foolish to spend all that you have. And it's very foolish to spend more than you have. 
and to get into, into debt that way. Sean has a question. Had a friend ask me why we don't have church on Saturday instead of Sunday. I tried to explain that Sunday is the Lord's day. We have church on Sunday as to honor the day Jesus arose. It was the sacrifice of Christ that created the church. He said he was not satisfied with that answer and said, shouldn't we be doing it on the Sabbath? I would have answered the exact same way, Sean, exact same way, because that is exactly the reason that believers started gathering together on Sunday. In fact, when John says it in the book of Revelation, it's exactly what he's referring to. He said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. The Lord's day is that Sunday that he arose or that he got out of the grave. That's exactly why Christians gathered on Sunday. The Sabbath is something that was honored by the Jews, which is Saturday. Sunday's not the Sabbath. Saturday's the Sabbath. And, um, you know, that's, that's part of what Seventh-day Adventists believe, that, you know, you should be going to church on Saturday. But that's not what the early church did. The early church gathered in honor of the resurrection on Sunday. And it was the Lord's Day is what they referred to it as, the Lord's Day. And, uh, you know, if he doesn't understand that, that, you know, that's his problem, but that's, that's exactly what they did. And that's exactly what we still do today, uh, in, for the same reason, the Sabbath is for the Jews. I'm glad Tricia, glad you're coming to answer the question. Alex, my nephew in Virginia beach, just asked the question, uh, if no matter what they hear, and by the way, I'm sorry, I lost those other questions after his but please, if, if you've asked a question that I've not um, addressed yet, please, uh, please retype it in the comment section because I do want to answer it. He asked if there's people that keep hearing the gospel over and over and over and uh, they just don't want to be saved or don't want to receive it. Do we chalk that up to predestination or does not everybody have a chance to be saved? That's the question. Um, my answer to that being... Uh, we know from history that not everybody had a chance to be saved. There were places that were inaccessible. There were nations where people could not be reached by the time before they died, even after the resurrection. Uh, and so, um, you know, not everyone has had a chance to be saved. Um, and I know that's a hard truth for people to accept that, you know, some people just didn't have the opportunity. Um, but, you know, in all honesty, there's nothing in the Bible that tells us that God's required to give everybody an opportunity. The Bible doesn't teach that God is required to offer the opportunity to every single person in history. It just doesn't teach that. Uh, the Bible does say the gospel will be preached to the ends of the earth and then the end will come. But that doesn't mean in context that, that the gospel will be preached to every individual person on the earth. It just means it'll be preached throughout the whole earth and then the end will come. Because we know for a fact that there are people um, that were reached later in time that had never had the gospel come to their village, that area of the na their nation ever ever. It was, you know, later, much later, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years after the early church and they were finally reached. Well, what happened to all the people before them? You see what I mean? They didn't hear the gospel. So, um, I would not say, and for literally the, the comments are still not coming up in this app. So, 
Huh, I don't know what is up with Facebook. It's ridiculous. I mean, you're probably commenting. I can't see the comments because Facebook is horrible. Let's see if I open my iPad, if the comments will come up on, on my iPad. It's ridiculous, man. I'm literally so tired of Facebook. So I, you might be asking yourself, if you're so tired of Facebook, why did you choose Facebook for these broadcasts? We all make bad decisions, amen? Jaden Roberts, we are back. Yes, we are. All right, they come up. Um, so the other question being, if somebody hears the gospel, hears the gospel, it's my belief that people, uh, by their own will can reject the grace of God that's being extended to them. My belief, they can reject, uh, they can, they can reject the gospel message because that's the, you know, we know people in the Bible rejected it. Uh, God stood before them. You know, I stand before Israel all day long with outstretched arms and they still reject me. Uh, why would God do that? You know, he, he says that in the old Testament through the prophet, I stand before the Israel all day long with outstretched arms, yet they still reject me. Meaning he's calling for them, but they still are rejecting him. Uh, new Testament. There are people that, re, that, that literally heard the gospel, rejected the gospel. Jesus said, when you go to a town that rejects you, shake the dust off of your feet, go somewhere else. And, uh, and so I believe that you have the ability to reject or accept the gospel. Uh, even Jesus' own disciples, you know, Thomas rejected the gospel when he first heard it. Jesus is alive. I won't believe it till I can put my fingers in the nail scars in his hands. That He rejected it and he had faith. He'd heard every message that Jesus had ever preached. And faith comes by hearing. So, you know, you do have a free will. And you have to understand, not everybody's going to be saved. In fact, the Bible says, few there be that find the straight and narrow path, not the majority, the minority. Zach Wilson, my question, what's your next book plan? <laughs> uh, I've got several book plans, Zach, as you know. Uh, one's the fictional book that you and I are working on together. Uh, the other, I've got a book in, in, I've outlined it already. God gave it to me all like two weeks ago, a book that I'd really like to write on John 1.1. But I've got a queue of books in my OneNote account that need to be written, probably 15 to 20 of them. But my goal is to try to release about three books this year. And that's where I'm on track. And, and I'm not going to, I'm not announcing release dates anymore or anything like that. I'm just going to write and release. Uh, Isaiah, what do you think of all these mass shootings? I think it's signs of the times. Uh, I think that the Bible says that uh, violence and corruption and uh, these, these kinds of things are what Jesus prophesied would take place before he came back again, uh, that there'll be violence all over the earth. Of course, Jesus said it will be like it was in the days of Noah. And the Bible says in the days of Noah, there was extreme violence and corruption everywhere God looked. It's what we're seeing today, especially terrorism, mass shootings. I think it's a sign of the end times. Um, Isaac Motley asks, do you think Jesus couldn't heal people in his hometown or wouldn't because I know he healed some, but was wondering what your take on it is. Uh, the Bible tells us exactly, Isaac, what happened in Mark chapter six, verses one through six. Uh, he went to his own hometown wanting to do mighty works there, but the Bible says very clearly he could not do them except for laying his hands on a few sick people and healing them. 
And what was the cause of that? And he marveled because of their unbelief. So the Bible tells us exactly what happened. He wanted to do mighty works, couldn't do mighty works because they had unbelief. They were filled with unbelief about who he was, his identity. Isn't this the same Jesus that grew up with us, the son of Joseph and Mary? They didn't believe he was Messiah or the son of God. They rejected him on that term. And so they couldn't receive miracles from him. And he, he marveled because he wanted to do it. There, so what that shows you is there were a few people that did receive and believe him and he touched them. Uh, Sean Marion asks, when you go into a week of revival, do you have all of your messages planned out? And I'm going to be totally honest with you, Sean. There are many nights and I mean many, I mean most where I'm standing on the front row about two and a half minutes before they hand me the microphone and I still have no idea what I'm going to say. And I'm not saying that jokingly. I'm saying that totally seriously. And I am not against preparation. So don't think that I'm against preparation um, because I'm not. But I just prepare in a different way. I And this, this will sound cliche, and I promise you it's not cliche. Um, I don't prepare messages. I prepare myself which means that I'm always studying, always reading the Bible, always praying, always listening to preaching and teaching. But I don't go in with pre-prepared messages ever, ever. I used to, and it would, the flow of the Spirit would not be there. I would not be able to function the way I wanted to. Couldn't see the same results that we're seeing now. Uh, I would prefer to flow with the Holy Spirit and be led by uh, His voice as I'm ministering. Uh, rather than, because what happens is because I love to study and because I love to read and because I love to prepare, I would get so caught up in going through my, my written message point by point by point. I would get so caught up and I would miss, I would miss the move, move of the spirit. Um, I would preach beyond, I would go too long. I would miss when God wanted to move on people, people, you know, I, I just would get so caught up in the notes that I'd miss the move of the spirit. So I prepare myself not the messages. And even last night, you know, like, you know, the night before this whole week, last week, wherever I go many times, I, I just don't, I have nothing pre-prepared. Yeah, Liz, I got kicked off of Facebook for some reason. I don't know why. That's true, Julian. And that's the point I was making because of their unbelief. He wasn't accepted in his hometown. Mark chapter six is the story of it. Kelly said, do you believe those in the government and elsewhere will achieve their mass quest of destroying humanity on earth as it is? So many have anxiety over this. Ultimately, um, I do believe, Kelly, that there will be an antichrist system set up, but the people of God will be gone, is my belief. Studying Bible prophecy, uh, as I have, I have a solid not just one, but many solid reasons to believe that the church will be raptured before the tribulation ever begins. So I have no fear or anxiety about being around during the one world system or during the Antichrist reign and rule. Uh, no anxiety whatsoever. In fact, Paul the Apostle, when speaking of the end times, encouraged the churches and said, uh, encourage one another with these words. Well, why would it be encouraging if you were headed for uh, tribulation and destruction and all of that. And so it's a blessed hope. It's the rapture is called the blessed hope. There's no hope if we're going to all go through the same 
junk is those that have re rejected Jesus. And so I don't have anxiety about it and neither, neither should you if you're serving the Lord. Um, I know, Juliana, it's crazy. I, I'm not a fan of it. Hey, Summer. Thank you, Lucille. Um, Silas said, how would you deal with believers who have a hard time receiving biblical truths or principles? I would show that, show it to them in the word, properly exegete the word, show it what it means in context, and then just let them know you're not a Christian if you reject biblical truths and commandments of Christ. You know, his sheep don't just hear his voice, but they follow his voice. And so you can't reject the doctrines of scripture and still call yourself a Christian. You're apostate. You know, it's like these guys getting up and saying, you know, trying to change the Bible, you know, change what homosexuality means. And well, God really was actually okay with it as long as it was monogamous. So they're crazy. Change the Bible and say, well, I'm just going to do whatever feels good in the moment. And I don't care what the Bible says. You're apostate. You're apostate. So show it to him in the Bible, properly uh, exegete it, get the context properly, and then show it to him. This is what the Bible says. Candid uh, Latrice says, what do you do? Uh, what to do when a person believes for healing, speaks the word over their situation, has fasted, laid hands on several times, others prayed, no unforgiveness, nothing's happening because healing is delayed. It can be discouraging when I know God is a healer. Um, I'm not sure if you're speaking about yourself or someone else. I never, as I said earlier in the last broadcast, I don't try to explain why people don't receive from the Lord because you don't know, you don't know about what's going on in a person's life. I never try to explain it. Uh, it's not my business to, and the Bible doesn't command us to. It gives us principles to live by, and it gives us things to do, like you're listing in that comment, and those are all proper steps. Uh, but I just keep on pressing and pressing until I get what God says is mine, and don't lose faith, don't get weary in well-doing, the Bible says. Norman in New Brunswick, God wishes that all people would come to the saving grace of the Lord Jesus. It doesn't say that all will hear the gospel, all believe. That's very true. Yes, David, I am. We're working on it. It's been just so, so busy. Um, I'm, we're planning on dropping that worship album. It's just been like unbelievably two years of running. I, it's, it's really no excuse, but I've not been able to get it out. We will, though. We definitely will. Yeah, we will be left without uh, without excuse. Happy birthday to Zachary David Wilson. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. We love you, Zach. Uh, Janine said, recently I had someone who told me that it is, it, it is biblical that no one should eat fish. My response, oh, what scripture are you referring to? The response was, well, I will send you the article. I, I hold the word above any article. My question is, is that a Jewish tradition? Jewish people eat fish. <laughs> Peter was a fisherman. Jesus was eating fish and cooking his own fish when he met the disciples on the shore. And in the end of John, at the, uh, at the conclusion of John, and they're coming in after his resurrection, he said, have you caught anything? They said, no, cast your net to the other side. They pulled in a large number of fish and then comes back. And, uh, and he's already got his own fish cooking it on, over the coals on the fire. So Jesus was getting ready to eat fish. Now, there are certain shellfish uh, that Jews will not eat. They're, I mean, it's not kosher for them. They will not eat uh, shellfish. I think, I don't know if it's all shellfish or just some, but uh, it might be referring to shellfish. But I don't, I eat shellfish because we're not under the law. 
We're under grace. Having been forgiven, Hope, Hope Browning asks, having been forgiven from all sin by the blood of Jesus, do we still have to give an account of these sins? No. The answer to that is no. Once you're forgiven, you're not just forgiven of those sins. The Bible teaches that those sins are removed from you. Uh, I believe it's Psalm 103, verse 16, or somewhere around there, verse 14. Uh, the Bible says that he has removed our transgressions from us as far as the east is from the west. You're not required to give an account for the sins that, you, that have been removed from your life. That's the wonderful thing about being a new creation. The old is gone, the Bible says, and a new life has begun. So Jesus took those sins, hope, upon his body, nailed them to the cross, and gave you or made you to be uh, the righteousness of God in Christ. It's a wonderful trans transaction. I, I'm, I'm amazed every day by it, literally. It's unbelievable. Yeah, Jesus fed them fish, and I, I don't know what they're talking about with that. Um, Alex says, so about Mark 6, we know that people can have faith for others healing because of the four friends who lowered the man through the roof. So why could Jesus not have faith for their healing? Um, literally, it's not that you can have faith for others healing. It's like, if you think about it, the four friends, they had faith, but the man on the mat also had faith. It's not that the man on the mat was in total unbelief and the, and the friends that carried him to Jesus had faith. The man on the mat had faith. Um, even when you look at Solomon's colonnade or the, the Solomon's porch where you had the man who didn't even know who Jesus was and he was waiting by the water, he was lame to be pr uh, placed in the water when, it, when the angel troubled it so that he could be healed. He said, uh, I have no man to put me in the water when the angel troubles the water. Well, Jesus, we know it wasn't that man's faith that got him healed because he didn't even know who Jesus was. Because when the religious leaders questioned him, they said, who healed you? He said, I don't know who he was. I don't know who he was. Uh, but Jesus then, but it doesn't mean that he didn't have faith in Jesus, but he still did have faith that God could heal him or else he wouldn't have been there by the water trying to get in the, the troubled water. So you can have faith for other people's healing, but they need to have faith because God, unbelief is a killer of receiving from God. You can't be double-minded. You can't live in unbelief. It's the absence or lack of faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So other people can stand with you and believe with you, but the uh, unbelief or double-mindedness will destroy your ability to receive from God, the Bible says. Um, Carolyn says, if Christians will be gone during the tribulation, how will people be saved? Will people be saved during the tribulation? Yes, they will. Uh, there will be people who are literally martyred during the tribulation for their beliefs. They will. There's tribulation saints. Um, and there will also be people who won't die that will actually come through the tribulation, enter into the millennium in their natural bodies. Uh, because the Bible says there will be a thousand years of people living uh, sin being judged quickly during the millennium. Uh, there'll be people going in and out of the new Jerusalem. Christ will be seated on the throne, ruling and reigning. Um, and so, and at the end, Satan will be loosed again and will draw people to himself. So we're talking about people in their natural bodies that will come through the tribulation that were not killed before the second coming of Christ. Uh, but there will be people saved and martyred during the tribulation. 
but the Holy Spirit will still be here. He's not leaving, Carolyn. But there will be uh, evangelists. There will be people um, on the earth during the tribulation that will be uh, still. But it, it's almost like it, it, it goes back into an Old Testament style of living. Um, you know, I'm not sure uh, about the exact timing on that, John, about the temple being rebuilt, because we know that during the tribulation, uh, I think around the halfway point, the Antichrist will go into the temple. Uh, it's the uh, abomination, uh, what is the, the proper term, abomination of desolation. Uh, he will go in to the temple um, as he's really revealing who he truly is. So obviously it'll have to be there during the tribulation, but there's three and a half years to the middle of the tribulation. So could it be built in that time? Possibly, possibly, but that's a good question, but I, I don't know exactly. And I'm not ashamed to tell you, I don't, uh, Todd Bailey compromise is accepting what you don't believe because you refuse to fight for what you do believe. It's a great, a great observation. People have been asking Cody about my nighttime skin routine. I'm going to do a, an Instagram about that later. Brian Cartier says, I hate when people deny healing because somebody they know died of disease. It's true. Someone else's life is not the word of God and it's not uh, the Holy Spirit. And so I don't, I don't, uh, I don't try to do that. <laughs> I love you, Zach. I'm glad you, I'm glad you're getting what you needed on your birthday. Um, this is a great question from Jaden Roberts. He said, how can you put a limit on people wasting your time? Um, and what are, what are ways to use your time productively? I think is what you mean or in productivity. I would say, and, and there's a great book. I think you should read Jaden. It's called Green Eggs and Ham. No, there's a book by Dr. Henry Cloud that's called uh, Boundaries. I would, I would recommend that you read it uh, because you do have to create boundaries for your life. If you don't teach people how to treat you, they'll treat you any way they feel like treating you. So you set boundaries and you don't let people violate your boundaries. Um, we honestly do teach people how to treat us. You know, if, if we allow everyone to interrupt our work, just come in and do whatever they want. You know, that's how they'll live. So you have to, you have to teach people how to treat you. You set the boundaries. You don't let them be broken. It's almost like putting a do not disturb sign on your door. Don't come in. I'm not, this is not the time I'm dealing with that or, you know, not answering emails right now. If you're offended that I'm not, you're going to not going to get an email back from me immediately. Be offended. I don't answer emails till after lunch, that kind of thing. You know, you don't let people waste your time. Do the most important things first. Get them done. Get them done. Get up early, pray. Get up early, read the Bible for the day. Uh, do your hardest work, your most important work first. Don't wait till after lunch. Uh, your focus tends to drop throughout the day. Uh, you only have so much focus. You only have so much. It's a limited, uh, it's an element in your life that's limited. It's not un unlimited. So do what's important first, do what's hard first, and let the easy stuff, hey, Josiah, let the easy stuff be done later. It's a spirit, Leslie Joy. You need to take authority over it, and you need to cast it out by the power of the Holy Ghost. 
<laughs> Mackenzie, that argument is so thin. Mackenzie Smolin's saying, have you looked into why people are saying that homosexuality was put into the Bible as a sin in, la in la later editions of the Bible and it originally meant pedophilia? That is such a thin, thin argument. Uh, I would recommend a couple of books to you. Um, Dr. Michael Brown wrote both of them. The first one's called A Queer Thing Happened to America. The other one, which I would recommend you get first, is called Can You Be Gay and Christian? That is probably the best book on homosexuality written from a Christian perspective. Um, you can't tamper with the manuscripts of the Bible and not be discovered. It, the transmission and translation of the Bible over the ages is such a miraculous thing. The other thing, Mackenzie, I would have you watch is that uh, that message again by Dr. Vadi Bakum called Why I Choose to Believe the Bible because in less than 30 minutes, he debunks anybody that would try to say that the Bible was changed through the ages, that the doctrines of scripture were changed, that the writings of scripture were changed, and we can't know that we had what the apostles originally wrote. It's foolishness. If you understand the scholarship and the way that Bible transmission and translation is done, it would have been impossible for people to add or take out doctrines or teachings without it being seen and discovered. So I encourage you to get the book and watch that message again. It'll help you understand they're fools. They don't even know what they're talking about. They honestly don't. How... How do you speak to a fellow believer that continues with habitual sin? The Bible says after warning them once and twice, have nothing more to do with them, Alroy. Have nothing more to do with them. Cut them off. Turn them over to Satan for the destruction of their soul, the Bible says. Liz said, I know you've answered this before. Can you, can, about the spirits that are being held for judgment, can you explain what happened there briefly? For sure. The book of Jude she's referring to and it's talking about the fallen angels that had sex with women in the Old Testament and produced the race of giants in the earth. Uh, the Bible says God uh, punished them for their indiscretions immediately, chained them in Tartarus, uh, and they're being held for judgment for doing that. Really, if you think about it, the reason they did it was to try to pollute the bloodline of Christ. They couldn't do it. Uh, David ended up with his mighty men killing off and making extinct all the rest of the race of giants that were on the earth. Uh, and then, of course, Jesus was still able to come through a pure bloodline as the, as the redeemer. But God looked at their sexual indiscretions and judged them instantly and very harshly. And that's really all there is to it. They're, they're being held, being held in Tartarus, chained in Tartarus, the Bible says. I'm not sure, Dwayne, why people say that. Um, Lilia Petty really is wanting to know if I use shampoo. The answer is yes, I do because I'm a steward. You have to be, if you're faithful over little, he'll make you ruler over much. That's the scripture I'm standing on and have been standing on. If you're faithful over a little, he'll make you ruler over much. You laugh now, but when I have beautiful brown locks flowing down my back, You'll not be laughing then when the miracle happens. Um, started at the bottom, now we're here. Started at the bottom, now the whole team's here. Uh, 
I just saw Tiffany post that Carolyn took over the mic last night. Oh yeah, she really, she really did. I had her greet the crowd and she, uh, she tore it up. Best I've ever heard her. Literally best I've ever heard her. I agree with John Napier. Learn to say no. It will increase your time. No question about it. Good question about boundaries. Sometimes feel I feel like this is something you need to do. How do you respond to people who think that the Holy Spirit is talking to them about me more than me about me? Um, I don't listen to everybody that always says the Holy Spirit's talking to them about me. He can speak to me. I... That's the thing I was saying earlier is that we're not led by other people. We're not led by prophets. We're not led by anybody but the spirit of God. So I don't need other people. I mean, I receive prophetic words. I receive those things from men of God, but they're people that I trust that I've allowed to speak into my life. If people are always coming up to me with a prophetic word, I don't need it. I've got the Holy Ghost in me. He can speak to me what he's speaking to you, especially if you can discern it's a nut job. Be careful about that stuff. Faith's going to have a birthday on Friday. Happy birthday, Faith, ahead of time. Amen, Norman. Mackenzie, there's that link. Cody put it up in the, in the comments section. I've heard some people uh, say people are born gay. What's your opinion? There was a boy that seemed gay from early on and came out in high school. Was he born that way? I don't believe so, and I don't think there's any evidence, um, even like evidence in the medical field or the psychological field that you're born gay. I don't think there's any evidence for that. I don't think there's like a gay gene that you can prove you have. Or I mean, I don't. I don't think. I mean, people want to claim they are, but uh, one thing is sure: we're all born in sin and shaped in iniquity. And so, in that sense, I believe that any kind of sinful thing can manifest in your life if you don't get saved. So in one sense, I would say, you know, you're born in perversion. You're born in wickedness. You're born in uh, those those works of the flesh. So in one sense, you're born into sin. So any sin can manifest in your life if you don't get saved. Uh, but I don't believe that specifically people are born uh, gay. What are your thoughts on being unequally yoked? Don't do it. Don't, mar marrying into other faiths. Don't do it. Don't do it. It's a mistake. It's a massive mistake. In fact, it was such a massive mistake. God told them not to do it when they entered into the promised land. They did it anyway. And the Bible says, and the next generation rose up that did not know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Candid, that is the video I was talking about. Yes, because they took natural bodies, the Bible says, Liz. She said the fallen angels being spirits and they can engage in that kind of activity. Uh, yes, absolutely. And the Bible says they did. They took on uh, the form of men and they uh, had sexual relations with women. Um, Amanda says, when it comes to past hurt, trauma, thought processes that are not in alignment with the word, do you believe that it's helpful for people to walk through a healing process that's centered in Christ or should be simply receiving freedom? It, it may, you know, you do need to renew your mind. So there's a difference between being delivered of something that you've had to deal with. And then of course, then renewing your mind, changing your thought process and aligning your thoughts with what the word of God says. We have the mind of Christ upon salvation. You can renew your mind daily with the word and prayer. And then of course you want to train yourself to think 
uh, in terms of what the Bible says, what God said through his written word? And that's an excellent question. Amen, Jaden. Amen. I don't believe we'll have giants physically again, Marie. Christina Featherman says, how do we get rid of a spirit of fear permanently? Well, the Bible says perfect love casts out all fear. Um, you can literally have victory over fear and never deal with it again. I don't deal with the spirit of fear and you can be the same. Uh, get filled with the Holy Ghost, number one. Pray in tongues, stir up your faith. And um, I would say, for me, you take authority over fear. It's a spirit. The Bible says so in First Second uh, Timothy 1, 7. Uh, God's not given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. So get filled with the Holy Ghost, pray in the Holy Ghost, take authority over spirit of fear. Great question. Yana, how does one go about with in-laws being unbelievers? Really not an encouraging environment, irritates my spirit. Honor them as much as you can, but you can keep your distance. You don't have to do everything with them, but honor them. No question. Always honor them. Doesn't help that people speak into people, especially children, sexually. It's true. It's absolutely true. Kayla said, when you have children that go to another parent's household that's a non-believer, do you still have spiritual authority over them? Praying a hedge of protection around them. Yes, I would say continue to pray for them. Uh, you know, and, and exercise your faith and believe God that he'll protect them, even those uh, even in those moments when they're not in your presence. Could be, I don't know, Brian. I'm gonna, you know, I hope nobody like tries to go after Shaquille O'Neal and tries to take him out like he's one of the giants of the last days or Yao Ming. What is my Spotify playlist? I don't even use Spotify. I, I actually use YouTube music. I switched away from Apple music and I use YouTube music because no one can beat their algorithm. They learned me so quickly. It was like unbelievable. And so I do have, I'll tell you, I'll tell you that new song that just dropped. I mean, it dropped this year, so it can't have been too long ago by Hillsong worship. And I'm not usually a Hillsong guy, but I'm telling you, that song, Fresh Wind, that just dropped, I've been like jamming to that. I'm gonna, I'm probably gonna sing that one. That song is awesome, and I, and I feel the anointing on it. I like it. And David Condon, if you're still on, you need to do that song. It, I think it's called Fresh Wind. It dropped 2021, and uh, it's good. It's really good. We need a fresh wind. Go listen to it. You're gonna like it. Um, Liz said, what's a good way in getting scripture to stick in your mind more if someone is forgetful? Use, um, use, um, like three by five cards, write them out. They've proven that by writing something down, you'll remember it better than just trying to memorize it. So write scriptures out with the reference. Uh, the other thing I would say to you that'll help you a lot, um, stick to one translation of the Bible that you're reading. Don't go through like 19 different translations. Stick to one translation for devotions and, me and, and scripture memory verses. Like, you know, 
don't, because what'll happen is you'll hear the same scripture in four different translations and you'll forget how to, how to quote it. Pick one, stick with it, write it out on three by five cards, and then um, you'll have a much easier time memorizing uh, scripture verses. It's an excellent question. I know Liz, I like YouTube music. I'm a fan of it. Darren said, enjoyed your message last night. Brought my 12-year-old son. He really enjoyed it as well. Um, great question from Darren. He said, um, uh, brought my 12-year-old son. Questions, I'm not a qualified answer. Is there a version of the Bible you suggest for kids or simply KJV? No, I don't recommend the KJV for kids. Um, and I'll tell you why. I'm not vilifying the KJV, but I will say this. There are translations today that have a better, they've, they have more manuscripts that they were able to work with from the Greek and Hebrew texts, um, earlier manuscripts that they were able to work with. Um, and with the King James version of the Bible, we don't speak that way anymore. And I think it's pointless to try and, and force that on people when that's not even how we speak anymore. Uh, you can still get a good word-for-word -word translation that's not that's that's a formal equivalence literal translation without having to go back to the King James version. Uh, I grew up on the King James, um, and there's some things that I think are good about it, some things that I think aren't good about it. Uh, I, if it were me, I give children the New Living Translation, but I would not be opposed to giving uh, children, youth. New Believers, the English Standard Version. It's in the same tradition as the King James, but it's modern English. Um, it's It worked with many more manuscripts than the King James uh, translators ever had. I think they had six manuscripts they worked with and a lot of the Latin. Um, Book of Revelation, they took... So because they used the Textus Receptus for the, for the King James Version, you have to remember the, the Textus Receptus was translated from something that... Erasmus created the first printed Greek edition of the Bible, and he didn't even have a, the book of Revelation. He had to ask his friend in the Vatican uh, to give him a commentary on the book of Revelation, and then he had to recreate the book before he did his printed Greek version. Then that's what the Latin was taken off of, and then the King James was taken from the Latin. So it's like a translation of a translation of a translation. So I, I would suggest the, the ESV for more of a word-for-word New Living Translation for Thought for Thought. And uh, I think the New Living will really help children. It's a, it, I think it's a very well done translation. It's quality, even though it's not word for word necessarily. Yeah, it's a great song. It's a great song. Fresh Wind. Really, really good. I like it. Index cards are your friend. That's right, Kayla. Index cards are your friend. Carol asks, do you believe in getting to the spiritual root of any illness? Yes. I think that there are times, let me have a swig. I think that there are times, like in the Bible, sicknesses and diseases are caused by a spirit of infirmity. And you'll have to deal with spirits of infirmity from time to time. Um, like Oral Roberts believed that cancer is caused by a demon spirit. 
Not that that person is possessed by a demon, but he believed that cancer was a demon spirit of infirmity that had to be cast out and authority taken over. Uh, I, I agree that we should pursue uh, getting to the spiritual root of any problem and dealing with it in that way. You can't medicate a spirit. You can't uh, admit a spirit to a hospital. You have to deal with spiritual problems with spiritual solutions. It's a great question, and I, I think we should do that. I know it. I, I know that that can be a problem, Liz, and, and I'm, I really want to encourage you. It's not wrong when you want to see an alternate reading or, or whatever it might be, but when you're doing devotions and memory of Scripture, stick to one translation. And you know what, Liz? I don't even know that you should ever push KJV on them. I don't think that they need the King James Version. We're so blessed in English-speaking countries to have a massive amount of English translations that are fine and very well done translations. We have the New American Standard Bible, which is a masterpiece. We have the ESV, which is a masterpiece. We have the NLT, which I think for a dynamic equivalence translation is a masterpiece. There's so many, the NIV, the NRV. We have, uh, I mean, there's just so many. So many that we have, we're so blessed. I mean, I'd stay away from the message and the passion. That's, that's me personally. Neither of them are translations of the Bible. They're both paraphrases, no matter what the translators uh, or translator and marketing team of the Passion tell you. It is not a translation of the Bible. It's a paraphrase of the Bible. And with all, and I'm going to make a bold claim here. I'm going to make a very bold claim. But I will tell you this, and I believe it with 100% of my heart. With all of the fine English translations of the Bible we have, why anyone, why anybody would pick up a message or a Passion Translation Bible is so far beyond my mind that I can't even understand it. I would not even waste my time picking up a Passion Translation or a message remix or a message Bible. It is a total waste of your time, in my opinion. When you've got access to the NASB, you've got access to the ESV, the New King James Version, the King James Version, uh, access to all the... It is a total waste of time. I, I think it's literally just, just the philosophy of what they did to bring about those paraphrases. It's like you have to place almost no value on God's written word to come up with that stuff. It's like it's so far removed from what God actually said. It blows my mind. Sfola says, is it a must to be baptized as a Christian? Yes. No question. No question about it. Uh, we're commanded to be baptized in water. You've got to do it. You've got to do it. Kayla asks, what is your thoughts on the NIV, the new international version of the Bible? Um, I personally do not use the NIV. Um, I'm not going to speak against it necessarily. Their goal in creating the NIV was to create a, a middle of the road type of translation of the Bible. So you have two different um, methods of translation. You've been hearing me refer to formal equivalence and dynamic equivalence. All that means is a translation that's formal tries to do more of a word for word as much as possible translation of the Bible. Whereas a dynamic equivalence tries to do a thought for thought translation. So the one says, how can we look at the words in Greek or Hebrew and get them into the English as close as possible 
to what they said in the Greek and Hebrew manuscripts. A thought for thought says, how can we look at the author's original thought and intent and in the best and clearest way, bring that over into the English language? Um, even if we use different words, how can we most readily convey? Uh, and I can give you an example. Uh, for example, in the New Testament, the Bible says, after they heard something that the, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, here's the original language, and they returned home beating their breasts. Well, that's the literal thing that's written in the manuscript. They returned home beating their breasts. Well, you and I both would not know what that means. You know, you'd, you'd hear that and think maybe of King Kong, you know, beating his chest with his fists. You don't know what that means culturally. You don't know what that means in their day. But if somebody in their day read that, they would immediately know what it meant, that they were grieved deeply in their spirit. It was an outward form of showing that you disagreed and that you were grieved by what was going on, just like tearing your garments was in the Old Testament. Um, but so the New Living Translation, others that want to do a thought for thought, um, would translate it this way. And I think they do translate it this way. And they returned home in deep sorrow. Well, it gives us the thought. It lets us immediately know what was going on in the context, but it's not what the original manuscripts say. If you're going, I need, I need my Bible to be as word for word as possible. The, the, the original Greek does not say, and they returned home in deep sorrow. It says they returned home beating their breasts. So that's the stuff. And then you got to go to probably a commentary to see, well, what does beating their breasts mean? So when you look, the more dynamic and equi equivalence a translation becomes, the more it's kind of translation plus explanation, if that makes sense. Translation plus some commentary, if you will. So I, I, would, I would say it that way. Alroy says, if you're a giver, I'll take a few more before I pray for you. I love Jesus, et cetera. How do one explain people still struggling financially experiences blockages in their finance? Uh, if they're tithing and they're giving offerings, they're probably not using wisdom uh, in their finances or they're living beyond their means um, is probably what's happening. Putting, a, putting their money in a bag with holes, as the Bible says, because you can't put God first and finish last. Yes, Darren, exactly. Tanner Crawford, tattoos through the lens of the word of God. Um, I tell people this, if you're going to be that legalistic person, that's going to follow the law to the T, then in the same context and in the same passage, uh, as the tattoos passage, you have to not wear any clothes that are of mixed fabrics because the Bible condemns that don't wear any clothes of mixed fabrics. So you can't have wool and acrylic or wool and rayon or no mixes because that's condemned in the Bible in the same passage. You can't cut the temp uh, the hair on the temples of your head or shave the corners of your beard. That's uh, the Lord would condemn you for that in the very same passage. So uh, now I don't mark my body for the dead as the Bible says, but I don't necessarily believe that it's, it's as much as uh, people have tried to make it out to be. Can a, can a spirit attach itself to a person who was sinned against, for example, molestation like a young adult? I believe so. I believe so. Uh, a lot of times, and I don't have to break it, time to break it all down, but I believe that it can happen. And that things like unclean spirits or things like that can open up. I do believe that. It's very sad. I've seen it. I've cast it out. Um, 
Dakes is wonderful, Liz, as well. I agree with you. Totally wonderful. Amplified's a great translation. It's very hard to read publicly, and it's kind of hard to, if you're just going to read through the Bible, it's kind of, a, it's one of those, it's almost like a, a reference. You, you need to look at it as more of a reference when you're looking into, individually into scriptures. It's not really fluid to read through in that way, but it's a great Bible. It's a great Bible. Chad Spencer, my preference, NASB or ESV. I like the ESV for its readability. I use the ESV to preach, devotions, everything. I appreciate the NASB's accuracy in a lot of areas and its uh, attempt to be as word for word as possible, but I do find it to be a little bit more um, hard to read. Not that I can't understand it, but uh, it's, it's a little bit more, as they say, wooden as you're reading through it. Uh, Mackenzie said, I heard the verses that speak about Jesus coming back are omitted in the NIV. Um, I don't believe that that's true. One of the things you have to understand, maybe I'll do a whole uh, teaching on this. It's not, and, and people went off on this. There's new translations taking scriptures out of the Bible. Um, remember that from their perspective, the King James Version is the Bible. And so anything that's been altered from the King James is apparently removing things from the Bible. Problem is we have many, 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 many better manuscripts today of the Bible. And the earlier that you go back, some of the things that were really originally commentary got added into the body of text of manuscripts and, and fragments by scribes who were so afraid that they would leave any of God's word out that they would even include in the body of the text as they were copying things that were in the margin of the text of a manuscript they had. So sometimes... Um, commentary would come into Bible, uh, the body of the text of, of passages in the Bible, and it was never really in the original manuscripts at all. Um, a good example of this is like in John chapter 8 with the woman caught in the act of adultery. Most Bible scholars now, uh, because of the manuscripts that we have, agree, including leading ones that have gone on to be with the Lord like Bruce Metzger, uh, that that was never in the original Gospel of John. The, they call that the pericope adulterae uh, in the Latin. But they, most Bible scholars agree, and I'm, I'm going to say virtually all of them, that the woman caught in the act of adultery was not in the original Gospel of John. Uh, they Even with the grammar, the, the flow of the writing, it breaks the flow, it breaks the grammar, all of that. And so they, they believe that, that that was not. And that's why if you have a newer Bible like an ESV or an NLT, they will put double brackets around that passage of scripture and tell you that this was not found in the original or the earliest manuscripts that we have of the Bible. Uh, same with something called the comma Johannium um, in 1 John 5, 7. And so you just have to know these things and that's why our newer Bibles tell us those things as we're reading them. Uh, but the omitted verses most likely are things that were not found in the earliest manuscripts of the Bible. The New American Standard Bible, the NASB, I, I like it, Sandra. I think it's good. <laughs> Norman's funny. I don't really recommend commentaries. I think you just got to do one that I like that's more of like notes on translation is the New English translation with translator's notes. There's like 60,000 translator's notes in that Bible, and I love it. I love it. You got to learn to take authority over it, Carol, and make sure it never, never comes back. Um, 
What do you think about a pastor who won't let you be in leadership or help in church because your wife does not believe in Jesus only? She believes in the Trinity. Um, I would leave. I would I would leave the church because uh, the Bible teaches that there is a Trinity. I believe I don't believe it's right to deny the triune nature of God. It's taught in Scripture, and it's not just taught in one place. It's taught throughout Scripture. Um, and so is it something I'd break fellowship over? Uh, yeah, if they're, if they're, if they're forcing you, uh, to deny the triune nature of God and a limiting what you can even do in the house of God based on it, they don't have fellowship with you already anyway. And I, I don't, I don't think it's right to deny the Trinity. And then if you're not going to deny the Trinity, you got to get into some weird form of modalism where you believe, well, he is all three persons, but he's only ever one at a time, which is not true. Look at the baptism of Jesus. Yeah, I love the ESV for its accuracy, Ashley. And same with the NASB. Zach Ramsey asked, do you believe that natural things can stir the, uh, up the anointing, such as white tea, candles, Taco Bell, Wagyu steak? Absolutely, I do. Jess Burton says, what is removed from the NIV has an asterisk and what it was and why it was removed. Once again, let me reemphasize, it wasn't removed I have to say this, it wasn't removed. It was not included in the NIV because the reason they didn't add it is because it wasn't in the earliest and best manuscripts. So when we say removed, it's probably because most of us are used to the King James version of the Bible for 400 years. But just because it was in there does not mean, and as I said, we're working with much better manuscripts now. It's not that it was removed, it was not included in these newer translations because it's not there in the original manuscripts. I saw something on YouTube last night called the Hebrew Gospel New Testament. I, I don't know. You'd have to uh, you'd have to forward me that. I'm not sure what that what that is. No, I know you were, but what I'm saying is, uh, I, I even look at how we say that because when we say that. People get all freaked out, Jess, when they say like, oh, there's, they're removing scriptures from the Bible. And, and you know, that, that went back in the late 80s and what would be early 90s, a, a woman named Gail Ripplinger wrote a book called New Age Bible Translations where she freaked out because she was saying these new translations of the Bible, they're removing scriptures from the Bible. It's an antichrist agenda. They're not removing them. It's that they're choosing to not include them in their new translation because the manuscripts that we have now that are far better, far better than anything that the King James translators had in 1611 uh, are just not there. We have 6,000 manuscripts or fragments of the New Testament. 6,000. 6,000. Far more than any other work of antiquity. And these have been excellent questions today. I'm sorry that the thing crashed. Uh, I'll try to do, uh, do another Q&A uh, soon. Maybe we'll do it on Instagram. If you guys have Instagram, follow me on there at Ted Shuttlesworth. And maybe we'll do one, you know, on there uh, so that I can pull you on to the broadcast and uh, and have you come on and ask your question personally. I'd like to do that. It'd be a lot of fun. So maybe we'll do it soon. Maybe next week uh, when I get back to, Vir uh, to Virginia, to Florida, we'll do it. I think it'd be I think it'd be great. Let me pray for you today. Father, we thank you. For every hungry person, those that are hungry for knowledge, those that are hungry for your spirit, those that are hungry to be used by you, thank you 
Thank you for the Victory Tribe. Thank you for their heart for the kingdom of God. Would you anoint every one of us with a fresh fire today? Give us a fresh hunger for your spirit. Use us for your glory. In Jesus' name, open doors for us. Lord, if people are battling sickness like they've been asking question, questions about, heal their body today. Would you send healing virtue to them? Make them whole in Jesus' wonderful name. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the honor of serving you. We love you, Lord. Blow your breath from heaven. Blow souls into the kingdom this year in an unprecedented way. Let your churches rise in impact and power and efficiency. Anoint your men of God, your women of God. Give us all fresh boldness and fresh fire and fresh wisdom. Let us stand and declare the word of God without compromise. In Jesus' wonderful name, we thank you, Lord. We give you glory, we give you honor, and we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to sow a seed today, hey, Joel Karam, love you, buddy. Before we go, if you'd like to sow a seed today, you can do it with hashtag donate in the comments, or you can go to miracleword.com. Uh, you can use Cash App or Venmo. You can use uh, Zelle if you'd like to do a transfer that way. All the information's on the website at miracleword.com. Hey, Phil, let me say a couple of things before I let you go. Number one, there's brand new kids stuff today out. It's Wednesday. New kids video with Alex and Maddie. Uh, I think they're talking on the protection of God uh, that you can go and get at miraclewordkids.com. You can watch and subscribe on YouTube. The new video's out, plus the downloadable Bible study. Uh, today, by the way, is the last day. John Napier, what's the cash app? Dollar sign MW for Miracle Word. MW Give. Dollar sign MW Give. Thank you, Carol, for sowing a seed. Thanks, Joel. Thank you, Bonnie. Uh, it's the last day today that you can order um, the Miracle Word Kids Easter boxes in order for us to get it to you guaranteed before Easter. It's the final day today. So if you'd like to get one for your kids or grandkids, go to shop.miracleword.com and you can grab your Easter box, one with a t-shirt or, or without a t-shirt. Uh, both options are up, but you got to do it today or else we probably won't be able to get it to you before Easter. Also, we're, we're redesigning, uh, relaunching the app, all new content in the app. Uh, if you don't have our Miracle Word app on your phone or tablet, go to uh, your app store, whether it's Google Play or Apple App Store, and search Miracle Word in the, the search bar. It's free. Grab it. All new content's being uploaded. Everything's being redone. Uh, it's awesome. And so I encourage you to get it. Thanks for those that are sewing. Love you guys a lot. Appreciate you. We're live again. We're here in Shelby Township, Michigan, outside of Detroit. I'll be here again tonight at 7, uh, tomorrow and Friday. Friday's a youth amplify. It's called Amplify Youth Night. Uh, but we're opening it up to everybody and just believing that our youth is renewed like the Eagles. <laughs> tomorrow night, uh, it's going to be uh, men with me, women with Carolyn. We've never done that before, but this will be the first time. Uh, Carolyn's going to be speaking to the women, and I'm going to be speaking to the men on the birds and the bees. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but it's, well, I don't know. We'll see what happens because I don't have notes. So we'll just see where we go. But it's going to be great. You can watch us tonight. We had some issues apparently with the live stream last night. Uh, take authority over that live stream, demon. <laughs> 
I love you. Thanks for hanging with me. Sorry for the crash. Maybe we'll switch to YouTube. Who knows? I love you. Have a great day, and I'll talk to you soon. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.